what's in the handbook at the moment was insufficient for what was coming down the track, particularly on mortgages and credit, um, and that leaving it to firms to apply those would lead to a very inconsistent outcome for consumers. Hi, and welcome to Grant Thorne's Risk and Regulation Unraveled podcast, our monthly ramble through the world of financial services regulation and the developments uh, we've seen. I am David Moy, and I'm joined, as usual, by my co-host, Gavin Stewart. Say hello, Gavin. Good morning. Hi there. Uh, it's December, so this is our festive edition, and uh, it's fair to say, I think that we have a particularly spectacular quantity of regulatory turkey to get through. Um, but before we do, uh, I think uh, everyone will be um, disappointed to hear that Gavin uh, is is leaving us uh, at the end of the year, and, uh, and so this is his last regular appearance on the podcast, um, although we are expecting him and hoping that he will return on a on an occasional basis, at least, to grace us. Um, thank you, Gavin, for working with us on this. It's been tremendous fun. Um, <laughs> Said for gritted teeth. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, and, and and for those who are wondering in the audience, we, uh, we I'll be joined by a different co-host uh, from next year. Um, hopefully someone agrees with me more than Gavin does, but... Uh, That's know, quite we'll a low bar, though. <laughs> we'll, we'll, see, we'll see how that works out for us. Um, but I tell you what, Gavin, uh, we we may be ending as a regular double act, um, but we are ending on a bang, a big bang. Except it's not the big bang anymore. Big bang 2.0. That's quasi terminology. Now 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 we have the um, the Edinburgh reforms. I think I, I'm I'm kind of curious as to whether they, you know, they went through a series of name naming alternatives. Uh, I, my personal suggestion would probably be the big whimper. Um, but uh, but no, we've landed on the the Edinburgh reforms uh, because uh, uh, little late today, Jeremy Hunt will be doing a a speech on proposed deregulation in financial services. We've had a, we've had a few, uh, but by the time this podcast airs, we will have heard the speech, and hopefully we're we're, we're going to uh, add, add some content on the website, uh, giving some analysis there. But I think there's been been a fair amount of trailing in the press, hasn't there, Gavin? and the kinds of areas they might address. Indeed. Um, I, I, I always worry when there's a lot of pre-briefing um, that, that actually, you know, it's, it's, it's a bit like where you think, you know, you see a trailer for a series and you get all the best bits in the trailer and you're kind of thinking, well, we're, well anyway, we'll see. There's a, it's a 30-point plan. Um, I think everyone's expecting a review of Mifid. Fine. Um, the two other things that I've seen trailed extensively uh, feel a bit more... Um, I'm a bit more ambivalent about it. one is um you know loosening the ring fencing um and the other is um you know lightening senior managers regime um the the first would be interesting to see how it fits with this ski off review that's just happened which as yes. far as I can tell was was more along the lines of you know it's worked pretty well up to now let's see how it goes for a bit longer because it's obviously been a weird period um, and then have another look, but they're clearly going to do something. It looks like around um, if you don't have a significant investment bank bit, then it probably won't apply to you. Yeah, but we'll yeah. see. Especially and then the senior manager review. Who knows? I mean, if I'm honest, it feels a bit because there's not been a lot of noise around that that I'm aware of. So, and everyone has always been crowding in to say how great it is. As you know, I'm a, I'm a bit of a skeptic. But it does feel like there's a bit of, you know, there may have been a bit of lobbying and, 
you know, behind the scenes on that one. Yes, you are. That is one that I didn't see coming as, a, as an area of focus. No, and I guess I actually might, I refer to it as the big whimper. I apologise for um, being so flippant, but but um, I'm always in somewhat in the sceptical camp in, when it comes to the political announcements. Um, and, and most of these announcements, as far as I can tell, uh, appear to be of the we will review variety. Um, so how long those reviews take and what comes out of the end of those reviews is is um, is still very much uh, uh, up in the air as far as I could say. So, yeah, yes. Uh, you know, what specific changes might flow from this is uh, 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 unknown. Um, yeah, the I, th I think the other thing that's probably worth saying is both um, ring fencing and SMCR are obviously in thing, you know, reforms that were introduced after the crisis. Um, and the fact that, I mean, there's all sorts of reasons why we haven't had a crisis since of the same sort. But but the fact that we haven't had a crisis isn't necessarily a good reason to remove or loosen some of the reforms that were put in to stop a crisis happening. Yeah. I mean, there's something not very logical about that in there. Um, so yeah, no. I, I just think I just think, you know, they were put in with a good deal of care. They should be taken out with a similar amount of care if taken out at all. And that's well, we'll wait and see what the speech says. Yes, no, I, I, indeed. And, and um, uh, the, um, you know, the SMCR rules um, have, have have been things that the, you know, the regulator has, the regulators have reviewed and opined on, you know, essentially, you know, come out very positively as this has been a good thing. That's it. This has been a success. Um, as have many CEOs. So, uh, so, so it's, given that context, it, it's somewhat hard for me to imagine there would be the you know a, a significant dilution um but again the flip side of the smcr rules are you know one of the drivers was clearly individual accountability should we have a financial crisis you know we, we, we will be able to you know pin down specific individuals and punish them for for the excessive risk taking or whatever other wrongdoing and, and the reality of enforcement cases and we've come on to you know quite a few enforcement cases this month to talk about uh, reality enforcement cases, there's not been a great deal of individual accountability um, cases kind of making their way through and, and concluding. So potentially the uh, the idea of uh, individual accountability with a, with a sort of punishment at the end of it was possibly uh, um, harder to, uh, you know, easy, easy, it's an easier idea than a, than a reality to, to, to achieve. So, uh, but yes. With there was someone with a machete, I think, who uh, was convicted in court and uh, was held up as a senior manager case. Yes, um, exactly, exactly. So, so yes, if 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 being if if SMCR requires you to wield a machete in a bar in order to get struck off, then you know there's uh, uh, there's probably most of us are safe, I would think. Uh, actually, I did wonder with that story whether that's given the timing of it, whether that's a cautionary tale not to drink too much at your Christmas party. Uh, but anyway, <clears throat> um, so the uh, the Edinburgh Reformers Watch this space. There'll be lots more to talk about both after the speech and presumably through the review and consultation process that's meant to follow. Um, we uh, have had, I guess, some interesting. Um, uh, sidebars uh, in the political realm still around, around where well, we've, we've, we've had a mini budget since uh, uh, or an autumn statement, I think we're calling this one since since we last uh, recorded. Um, and we've also had some some hearings on 
the mini budget, the the, the trust Kwartang mini budget, um, with with some evidence being provided, and, and those have been quite quite interesting theatre. I think uh, Bank of England uh, sort of making the point that they weren't consulted uh, or briefed. Yes, more, more relevantly, yeah. Um, uh, part of the uh, part of that. Um, and uh, and some of the fallout there is 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 quite quite interesting to watch. Um, uh, it particularly for me, at least in the context of one of the other big developments we've seen uh, uh, make the news in the last in the last couple of weeks, which is that the uh, the much discussed and if you're Rishi Sunak, the much committed to promised uh, calling power in the financial services and markets bill. So this would have been the the uh, the ability of the Treasury to call in the the heads of uh, the PRA and the, the FCA to uh, um, uh, rein in or, or or ask them to change uh, a regulatory development, um, and and that power to be formally enshrined in the uh, in in the new Financial Services and Markets Act. Um, uh, but the announcement has now come down that that will be that's being scrapped. There, is, there will be no calling power. What, what's your what's your take on that? I, yeah. Well, well, as you know, uh, you know, we, we were at the um, the Grand Thornton Financial Services Conference, yes. and we were, you know, two days the day before it happened, we were absolutely confident that um, there would be a, an intervention power of some shape or form. Um, and I said on the basis that there was too much political reputation at risk. So obviously, I was wrong. Um, I, I think I think there's a context of. Um, what was widely perceived, despite the government denials, as challenging regulators' operational independence, um, was was seen more broadly in the context of what had happened with the you know the 23rd of September mini budget fiscal event and so on, uh, and there was a kind of like some kind of credibility question that was being raised around regulation as well as around kind of fiscal responsibility and the two together wasn't a great combination. Um, I think it's also, you know, we've talked about this before, um, quite striking because of its rarity that the that both regulators for different reasons um, came out very publicly as opposed to it. I mean, the FCA, because it, you know, has never really done that before. And the uh, Bank of England, because it's sort of institutionally reticent, yeah. um, uh, and yet that happened, uh, and so there was, and the TSC was obviously against it. Um, we never actually saw any wording, so I can only imagine they were struggling with the criteria on which a call-in or intervention would be based, which seems a bit odd to me because I kind of think if you're going to do something like that, you ought to have the wording before you do it to know that it's workable. Um, a, a couple of other things sort of in the in the background is that it was originally, if you look at the consultation papers, the intervention power was proposed by Treasury as a response to the industry, including UK finance and so on, saying that um, uh, judicial review was too long-winded and yeah. too expensive, and they needed a, a better way of challenging um, uh, appealing against particular regulations, and yeah. I could never see how that really squared with the Treasury saying um, we're only going to do this in very ex- exceptional circumstances. Um, but I think everyone's lost because I think that the regulators having come out in public 
you know, reputations, yeah. uh, relationships will have been damaged. And I think you can see in some of the noise this week about regulator accountability that actually, you know, the, the Treasury is not very happy. No, I, I, I no. Well, I, 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 sorry, we, we moved on to this from, uh, yeah. uh, for, from uh, referencing the, you know, the Bank of England saying how, yeah. um, how uh, well, essentially annoyed it was at not being consulted on the mini budget. Um, to flip this around to a situation where you know the idea that the Treasury might <laughs> might influence might uh, have some kind of say over uh, uh, what the regulator is doing suddenly seems seems like a, like an anathema. Um, now, which I know is a bit extreme, but you know it's a financial services and markets bill as it does basically extends. I mean, it, it allows the regulators to accomplish more with fewer reference points to Parliament. Essentially, from a from a legislative point of view, it gives them more rulemaking power than they had before. So, um, you know, to, to, to the extent that might not be a, a, a ultimately accountable to to, to Parliament is um, it well, yeah. There's going to be criticism, I think, if they seem to be acting in a way that is unaccountable. Yeah, I mean, I think I think to be fair, the the way it's meant to operate is that the government and parliament well set the set the envelope and the direction of travel and then the leave it to the regulators to operate within that and if they if, if they move outside of that then obviously you can hold them to account and they need to be able to demonstrate that they are that they're you know they're acting in good faith and be able to explain the ins and outs of it i think that's fine i, I think the the way in which and this all, again all comes down to the wording and what it was actually going to say which we'll, we've never seen and probably never will now um you know what on what basis would they actually call in a particular regulation um and i think that's you know that that's the unanswered question if you like and the minister wasn't able to answer it when he went to the tsc and then and then they postponed the wording to later in the bill and then they decided not to go ahead with it so we'll never know. And just on the on the kind of coming out publicly, I'm pretty sure that the the bank in particular will have been talking intensively to the Treasury about about this particular clause ever since it was first mooted. So that there's a whole kind of context that we'll probably never know. We'll never know about. No, I know, I know, I know, uh, absolutely. And and you know, I. The, the, the cynic in me, I know it, it's hard to imagine me being cynical. It's, uh, let's just run with that concept for a moment. The cynic in me looks at the looks at the timing of these events. So the the the, the government deciding they would not press ahead with the calling power, and then the ability of the chancellor to stand up and talk about reform and deregulation as not as not as not unconnected. I.e., getting the regulators on board with that. You know, whatever substantially turns out to be the de deregulation agenda, they, this might have been that might sacrificing the calling power might have been might have been the uh, sort of a horse trading cost of cost to get that. Um, but anyway, right. Uh, so um, we have that um, aspect of uh, change, uh, although as you rightly say, it was it was never actually written into the law, and it never will be now. So, so no court, no call in power. Um, we've um, had other developments. Just thinking, sort of major headlines. 
I mean, we start, so we're, we're starting to see more movement now, particularly from the FCA's perspective around cost of living, aren't we? So um, we, we, we've been tracking for a while how it seems to have featured in a relatively low key way in, in, in terms of uh, the um, FCA activity, although mounting presence in the board agenda, et cetera. Um, and, and in the last couple of weeks, we've, we've had, uh, we had the FCA come out and, and essentially green light the idea that mortgage providers could flip customers in financial difficult customers onto on interest only mortgages without without going through any of the um any of the the the, the, the regulatory checks affordability repayment plans etc that um that uh, were obviously put in place um over recent years um uh, obviously this is meant to be a temporary response to the cost of living crisis but but is, is, that, is, is, is that the most tangible thing we've seen so far would you say in terms of yes easily response yeah, I mean, no one would ever accuse us of banging on about anything. But if there, if there's, if there's a subject that comes close, um, this is probably it. And you know, we've we've argued, and I've written several times about thinking that the FCA was behind the curve on the cost of living crisis, going back to at the very least their May board minutes. Yeah. Um, uh, and we've always, I think, thought that the existing vulnerable customer guidance and, and what was in the, you know, what's in the handbook at the moment um, was insufficient for what was coming down the track, particularly on mortgages and credit, um, and that leaving it to firms to apply those would lead to a very inconsistent outcome for consumers and all yeah. sorts of potential scandals down the road. Well, and, um, and also, that wouldn't do anyone any good. Yeah, and also, you know, the, the easiest way to avoid uh, getting in trouble over vulnerable customers is, customers is to make sure anyone that might be vulnerable is not not your customer. <laughs> so, so yes, and so there was the whole de-risking, yeah. you know, yeah. threat. Um, and, uh, you know, and obviously many more people are vulnerable and will become vulnerable than the original guidance was designed to cover. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I think... You know, we've already seen house prices starting to fall. Um, we'll have to wait and see if unemployment's due to rise by half a million in the next year or so. And I know it's at a low level, but that's still 500,000 people losing their jobs in a relatively short space of time. Um, so we'll, we'll just have to see. No one's been here before. So it's, you know, again, we've talked about this, but it's a new it's a new playbook that people are having to write as they go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so we'll see, but it's not, it's, it's not pretty. I just hope that this intervention has, hasn't come too late and that it's well designed. Um, incidentally, it's, it's interesting that, you know, Martin Lewis was at the mortgage summit and he's, he, he's been on this, um, on this wagon as well for the last, you know, for the last couple of months. And so it's, it's just interesting how someone like that actually clearly has quite a lot of influence. Yeah. Um, so he's got. He's got a TikTok cha channel, so of course he's got a lot of influence. That's the way forward. Yeah, I know. I'm totally. We are. Um, I, I, yeah. Obviously, uh, you're leaving the podcast, but uh, you know, I'm thinking of introducing a few groovy dances and um, getting those online. Good way of promoting our content, right? So uh, we've seen something on cost of living. Uh, then uh, I, I suppose a I, 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 bit of contrast with covid and the lockdowns uh there was a whole rush of very rapid activity and we obviously you know, some of its hindsight etc but we can look back on that and probably think that 
much of that was unnecessary or, or maybe came, came too early even. Um, uh, much slower pace of re response this time around. Um, so I don't know what that means. There will be more response. It's just going to take a while. Um, but uh, but, but uh, um, it's it's clearly a, a different dynamic of decision making than, than occurred uh, for COVID. Uh, the last thing I was going to cover on sort of direction of travel um, was crypto. I mean, there's obviously been quite quite a lot of juicy stories. You know, the uh, the, the FTX um, failure in uh, regulating the Bahamas. Uh, uh, but you know, what, what does that tell us about the state of, of crypto firms generally? But we are being promised a a full consultation. So, so we we know there's there's been an intention to to revamp, expand, and revamp the UK regulatory environment for crypto. Uh, for quite a while, and we're now being uh, promised a, a detailed consultation on that. Uh, so we don't have specifics yet. Rishi Sunak's described the desire for the UK to be a crypto hub. And I think the Royal Mint got sent off to produce an NFT, didn't it? I believe, I, I, I believe, I believe so. I believe so. Uh, I mean, you know, it's interesting for me. It's, 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 it's a bit of a test case. So we've, got, we've clearly got a a. a nascent fast evolving industry which is kind of riddled with problems as well as potential opportunities um and if there's a genuine desire for the uk to be a a, a crypto hub um if that's the phrase but a center for innovation in this space then um then the uh, the generally uh, stated repeat oft repeated maxim that you know competitive advantage comes from having the highest possible international standards <laughs> on regular, regulatory, yeah, yeah. this bit of a test case, then, is it? If, if we if we if we set the highest possible standards of regulatory uh, regulatory rules, will 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 crypto firms flood to the UK or not? I don't I don't know. It's a, we'll see. Yeah, and is that what we want? I mean, I I think yeah. So again, I think we're behind the we're behind Europe and we're behind the US on designing a regime for this. Um, not to say we can't catch up and and produce something better, but but we are behind currently. Um, it's not clear also from particularly, I think the Bank Bank of England has been a bit more consistent, but it's not clear from what the FCA and the Treasury have said, what sort of regime we want to have um, and, um, and how uh, onerous it will be, how welcoming of you know, of, new, yeah. of of these firms, it will be. Um, and I think, you know, we, you know, we could talk about this for a long time, but I think the other thing that's worth watching. So so I think the, the statements have been inconsistent and various things could happily coexist, but but only within a framework that we don't yet have. Um, the other thing really worth watching is is the funding element of this. So I think to regulate crypto properly, um, will need you know new expertise um you know quite a lot of systems and and people that are likely to be relatively expensive i'm not sure that the current funding mechanism is up to um is up to producing that through simply charging fees to applicant firms um so so i think the the funding element of this when the consultation does come out it is really worth focusing on. That's a good point. Yes, you're right. A marketplace full of startups is not is not going to be able to bear a high you know, regulatory fee regime, yeah. for instance. Um, yeah. Although, well, yeah. yeah. 
and I think it's also worth saying that crypto is already with us. So it's like one in one in ten UK adults owns, you know, owns some kind of crypto asset. Uh, you know, so so it's I, I think it's gone past the point where you could say we're not going to regulate this. No, I know, no, it's, it's absolutely got to come. Uh, you, you're right, it's, but you're right. There are lots of challenges and questions and, and strategic ones about how we want to position ourselves. You know, crypto, but language aside, do we really want to be the place where crypto is running running wild? But I'm, I'm not sure about a good with your point on the funding though. Yeah, yeah. And the, the Bank of England managed to find the time, money, and effort to produce a report this month on. Um, on, on naming the individuals who received compensation following the abolition of slavery. So in the, in the eight years or so up to 1843. So they, they've now published a list. So if you, obviously that has, that has many advantages, you know, if you're wondering whose statue to lob in the canal next, then you can just check that check that list. But um, uh, yeah, that doesn't suggest to me they, they could be too cash strapped, surely. But, but, well, it's so. oddly capable of doing more than one thing at the same time, um, <laughs> you know, as we would expect of any, um, of any modern central bank. Um, I suspect that one's been running for a couple of years. I'm not sure. I'm sure oh, it has. I'm sure it has. Uh, yeah, yeah. And I, 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 I'm entirely supportive of uh, naming and shaming people that have been dead for, you know, 120 years. Uh, excellent. Okay. Lots of big stories. We're going to do a bit of a news roundup. Uh, run through the. I say smaller stories. Although some of these are quite, quite, are quite um, significant for particular sectors because we've had. Typical, uh, I should say, pre-Christmas rush of consultations and policy statements. So let's try and let's try and rattle through them. Although actually, quick one before we do though, the regulatory initiatives grid, which is a, a year yes. and a half or so old, and and for those that don't know, it's 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 a, it's a it, we find it a very useful assimilation of all of the regulatory developments that all of the regulators are working on. So you can see timelines moving out, what to expect when. Uh, produced every six months. Um, now about two months overdue, though I think I'm right in saying going. Give or take. I mean, they're 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 contractually obliged, as you might say, to produce two a year. Um, they um they produced a year ago. They had one in November, uh, beginning of November. Um, and then they produced one in May. Uh, so we have whatever it is. Um, ooh, um, twenty two days. Uh. <laughs> Well, them to get the, the, the second we, 22 version out. Yeah, we, so we did. We did. I think last podcast we did reflect on that. that it was we were expecting it hadn't arrived. Yeah. A bit late. I do. I do wonder actually in the context now that we know these Edinburgh reforms are coming or the, the speech there of the that um, I'm presuming a fair number of the consultations that are sitting within that package will need to be reflected on the week. So possibly, possibly it's uh, it's something that will follow follow the formal announcement of that plan. Yes, and I think that I mean there, there's a whole there's a whole range of things in there. So there's there, there's definitely that potentially. So we'll wait and see. Um, there's potential fallout from the LDI crisis. So do you do anything on LDIs, and if so, what? Um, I think also it's it's worth you know it, it, we shouldn't underestimate how bureaucratically challenging it is for all these regulators plus the treasury so it's not just the the pra bank no. and, and fca um there's you know the tpr and several others um to get together in governance terms and agree what should be in it and agree the timelines and with everything that frankly has been going on for the last three months i can imagine that's 
that's become administratively almost impossible. So I think that's the other kind of big factor yeah. that's likely to be in the mix. But 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 I think given we've got this speech today, hopefully next week it'll drop. Yeah, we'll, we'll definitely be looking for that. Okay. What have we seen uh, publication-wise? Uh, C consultation paper, SCA consultation paper, 2224, broadening access to financial advice for mainstream investments. Um, won't spend too long on this. It's it's the latest attempt, though, to build a channel for simplified advice. So this, yep. is, this, is, the, the, this is aimed at or aimed to benefit um, uh, that segment of the population that don't have huge financial resources, but they're probably sitting on a fair bit of cash. Um, yeah, so the, the the strategy is about people with more than with ten thousand pounds or more in inverted commas spare cash yeah. investing some of it. Um since they um launched that a year and a bit ago, it's actually gone the wrong way. Not yeah. a huge surprise given the crisis, although obviously the value of the of the cash is declining because of inflation. Um it's worth saying um that you know, this is an old story that goes back at least 20 years yeah. um, about the FCA trying to, you know, or the FSA then having trying to have some kind of simplified advice regime yeah. that would be attractive. And there are various iterations of it. None of them have entirely flown, let's say. Um, typically, the sort of things that happen are consumers think that it's because it's simplified, it's second class. Um, firms don't really participate because it's not sufficiently profitable. Absolutely. It proves very complicated to explain because the restrictions that, that make it simple prove yeah. very hard for, for advisors to explain and for consumers to yeah. understand. And then there's usually quite a lot of arbitrage, which means that at some point there's some kind of scandal that brings the whole thing in disrepute. Yeah, it's uh, it, it, yes, yes, it's uh, I mean, but basically it, it does various things, it, it, lowering uh, training and competence standards yeah. around advice um reducing the scope of the suitability assessment that needs to be produced it allows actually it allows the advice to so the, the fee relating to the advice it allows it to be paid in installments it's designed obviously to make it easier for people to bear as customers um uh but but you're right these are all these are all things that it if you've if you've already got a a a a, a broader advice business then it is you're essentially setting up a new process and a new a new group of people to do this it's, it's not necessarily obvious that that's a, an attractive thing to do uh i suspect the extent it will, will appeal because but, but basically but, but it's extremely focused it basically says it makes it easier to uh, for um an advisor to recommend a, a stocks and shares isa it's, it's as simple yep. as that that's, that's the product at the end of this so get it get it out of cash get it into a stocks and shares isa um so it's probably the kind of thing that will make sense if you're a bank you got customers with deposits. You can, you can, you can, you can add add, add this, but uh, I do wonder whether there'll be much take up amongst advisors. There was, there was, there was uh, so, so headlines. Uh, uh, April twenty twenty four. They're talking about this going live by. I think the the consultation has some interesting information on market take up, which you referenced some of it. Um, and one of the things that was I, I found interesting was according to, to to the FCA's statistics, and they were leveraging other external research. Um, for individuals seeking advice for the first time, only six percent of that group w wanted that first interaction to be robo related. So, i.e., they wanted to talk to somebody. 
six percent um so so because obviously you know robo advice was one of the mechanisms that was assumed for quite some time would, would be a, a, a route for lower cost advice to this sort of a middle market um and, and maybe you know humans aren't quite behaving themselves in that respect um so 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 it's some interesting stuff in there anyway so yeah. is that uh we have had consultation paper 2227 gateway for firms to approve financial promotions this is much more focused uh well extremely focused there, there are, there are uh, firms that are under section 21 of fisma um approve financial promotions on behalf of other people uh often unauthorized people so you know like mini bond commissions and things like that um so it's a pretty rare activity but there are some firms that, that do quite a lot of them and, and basically this is um this is uh raising the standard on those firms in terms of how they go about doing that um yeah, to the extent that they they would you would actually have to apply for and get a, a specific regulatory permission to allow you to authorize other people's permissions so it's gonna, that's going to be significant change much more scrutiny therefore on, on that on that subset um of the market but it is a pretty small subset um we had the final rules on the british steel pension scheme redress scheme british steel pension scheme <laughs> what schemes in there uh so we've, we've referenced the consultation but this is the the, the fca's long-running process on pension transfers and the political campaign around british steel pension scheme in particular and and their requirement that any firm that gave advice on a british steel pension scheme member over a come back two year period um has to re-review that advice determine suitability the, 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 and, and pay compensation if it's due the main takeaways i have from that uh I, and this is unchanged from the consultation is is it, it adds a mechanism which i think is, is is very significant that if you the advice firm if you if you look at the advice and you say yeah it was suitable actually there's no problem with it you then have to let the FCA know about that and the FCA will facilitate in their words a referral to the FOS so any suitable case is going to the FOS to be reviewed and and, and we know from experience that the FOS yeah their, their record in pension transfer of complaints is is um is very heavily slanted towards the um the scheme member and finding cases unsuitable so uh it, it, it remains to be seen but there seems like a possibility that um firms may assess cases as suitable and then a lot of them will be overridden or over, overturned by, by FOS um the and, and that's a new mechanism you know we haven't seen that mechanism in a in a what's known as a section 404 scheme before the uh I think the other, the other thing I found interesting in that consultation is the FCA estimates sort of sort of in the final rules but the FCA is estimating now that 10 percent of advice businesses that are affected by this so not all advice businesses gave this kind of advice but 10 percent of the ones that did will go out of business as a result of the cost of compensation uh, which is interesting because one of the cases we might mention in the enforcement if we get time is 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 uh, an advice firm that has just gone out of business because of uh, uh british steel pension scheme redress liabilities so um uh yeah i'm 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 i have a suspicion 10 percent might be an underestimate given some of the values concerned yeah, I mean, I, I think just just thinking more broadly, I mean, we talked during COVID about the FCA suddenly having to become a prudential regulator in practice as opposed to mostly in just in theory. Yeah. Um, and you could easily see quite a lot more of quite a lot more firms running into liquidity and solvency issues 
through the cost of living crisis and with interest rates um, you know, much higher and so cost of money much higher and so on and so forth, potentially bad debts higher. So, you know, there's a whole there's a whole set of stuff in there that I, that I think is is worth um, is worth kind of paying attention to over yes. the next you know, next few months. Yes, well, uh, in earlier rigs, uh, regulation issues grid, could we there was a a place mark of 2023 for the FCA to review the prudential regulatory capital rules for financial planning businesses, personal investment firms. So, I'll be interested to see whether that's still sitting in the um sitting in the next version of the rig. I would have thought it quite likely would be, um, because the you know the fallout rate when there is when there is redress due to suitability issues, the, uh, the failure rate of firms is is pretty astronomical. Um, so the, on the POA side of things, we had the consultation paper uh, on, on the final consultation paper on Basel three driven changes in banking capital. Uh, this is quite an interesting one or juicy one if you if you if you if you, if you, if you work in that environment. So uh, and but but very consistent with um, you know the, what the Basel um, three reforms are. So the the reforms that we we've known have been coming for a while. So this changes to the um, changes to the uh, use of internal models and the standardised approach for credit risk. Uh, Actually, at a headline, all of these reforms essentially wind back a little bit on the idea that you can use sophisticated modelling to work out a bank's capital requirements. So, so on the on the credit risk side of things, there are some changes in the detail, but there's also a new a new floor calculation. Basically, so basically you can you can model your risk weighted assets and the credit risk value and come up with that number. But by the way, here's a fairly broad brush. <laughs> new floor, you know, was seventy two percent. Anyway, you, you whack it in there. Um, and, and so, you, if your own modelling is below that, you, you you have to use the floor your floor amount. So, a rather crude floor being imposed, and um, uh, on operational risk. Again, anyone that's been following the Basel three reforms will know that the the uh, the the, the, the uh, allowance to use your own internal model value for operational risk has gone away, and it's it's reverting back to a standardised approach, basically. So, a, a much cruder methodology um so it feels like we haven't quite gone full circle but 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 clearly some of the some of the expectations uh under basel two that that we could model all of these things to a high degree of sophistication and produce you know objectively right answers we seem to be moving back to a more kind of uh yeah let's just be simple but safe i don't know am i am i mischaracterizing Gary? um i don't think so um i mean i've heard it said that you know what what happens when you you know do the analysis and you have models and so on is that any spare capital um you know gets gets taken by the front office and used to create more risk or to run more risk um and i think if you're if you're sitting in basel you're you're probably thinking well actually you know these things were over talked and they they didn't really deliver during the financial crisis and so actually we need to rebase ourselves a bit yeah i mean the massive the simplification of all the Perhaps, no, you know, of, of all the you know all the inner workings and all the compromises and and consultations that have gone on but but you know it's not a great surprise that you know post the financial crisis which is effectively what this is in terms of reform you're looking to have a bit more capital in the system and a bit less 
flexibility in terms of how little you can hold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So no, you're right. There's a, there's a, a massive detail, but there's a, there's a bit of a sort of overarching arc uh, there. Uh, hey, it's a quite an interesting point actually. I've seen that discussion was some of the expected reforms around the UK Solvency Two regime. So some of them are you know, reporting, simplification, etc. But, but there's some changes around the matching adjustment and the like, which, which might might reduce the capital. Seems, consensus seems to be will we'll probably reduce for some insurers the amount of capital they need to hold, which is great, I guess. Except I'm already seeing I'm already seeing this kind of well, of course, you know, the expectation will be that the these savings will be uh, cost of capital savings will be passed on to customers in sort of price reductions and uh, so. <laughs> um, give us with one hand and take it away with the other potentially there we go um right uh one thing just i guess it's it's just uh worth mentioning uh people looking into 2023 but um the one of the things uh we're looking forward to with a lot of interest to see what the direction of travel is is a diversity and inclusion dni consultation that the fca is um as committed to and and uh they still are but they're well, they kind of they had a quite specific timing, and now they've kind of pushed it back. And yeah. it's, it's a bit so joint, jointly with the PRA. Oh, so of course, yes. Um, and it was scheduled for Q3 this year, and it's now some point in 2023. And we were waiting a bit for the grid to find out when. And, yeah. um, I can only imagine this has got more complicated to do. I mean, we've always we've always wondered how easy it would be to write specific regulations that properly captured what you were trying to you know what you were trying to do um so we're still waiting to see that and i'm not sure how well it fits with the the spirit of the edinburgh reforms but again we'll we'll have to wait and see um so i think it's definitely one for next year to watch out for yeah yeah absolutely so yes i'm i'm uh, I'm, I'm so eager to take a look at it because i just think it's, it's incredibly challenging place to try and operate from a regulatory point of view um so i'll have to wait a little bit longer by the sounds of it Okay, um, there's been quite a bit of enforcement activity, which we should, we should probably run through. Uh, uh, so the, the the most recent one, as in as in I've read about it this morning, is that Santander Bank have now been fined 107 million for AML failings. Uh, going back to 2012 to 17 business bank. So so similar to I think some some of the other enforcement cases, failure to oversee business customers, not, not challenging, not challenging those customers on where the source of source of funds are you know the, the examples of small businesses which go from nothing to having sort of millions going through the accounts and uh failure to, to sort of monitor you know variations in in sort of expected activity levels etc cetera, etc cetera. so um but 107 million um which i think um for the calendar year puts them over over 500 million of aml related fines for for uh, four or five different banks um hsbc natwest uh, etc now this one um yeah uh probably nothing new actually in terms of the failings but uh, uh uh there seems to have been plenty of plenty of problems to go around yes and i i think i mean it'll be interesting to see i mean it's worth you know without going into the the details of the whole thing these these are cases that were probably launched three or four years ago all of them so we've talked about the NatWest one a year ago which started in 2016 for the for the FCA, so this will be some kind of similar time scale, although it's clearly not not criminal in the same way. Um, yeah, I mean, I, you, know, you know, I think financial crime is 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 still a major 
problem for the industry um, and I think the you know regulators are still struggling to address it in real time you know all, all this money has happened you know whatever the sums of money were going through you know the books of various firms they've already gone through yeah. and yeah. you know so so, yeah. so so this is if this is a success it's a it's a sort of uh you know it's a very um it's not one you should shout around shout from the rooftops because actually the the problem you know the problems are quite big and a lot of bad things happened as a result of them yes i see it's playing into the uh a reputation that the UK yeah. has occasionally had for issues in this space, albeit I think uh, there's plenty of other jurisdictions that can uh, can join. Oh that yes, the bandwagon. Oh, completely. Um, okay, uh, so that was the biggest number, and I suppose I suppose that that is with these are all these are all big banks, and they're being fined very big numbers. The, the other ones we've got are smaller, uh, but actually start to get so the the Santander fund there's, there's no there's no individuals being called out in there the other, other ones they are and we're, and we're seeing so the next one Julius Baer fine 18 million uh both so the bank has settled has paid paid its 18 million uh, but there are also three individuals who are uh named in final notices being fined and banned however there's a big sort of health warning on top of those final notices. All, all three are appealing to the upper tribunal. So this is this dichotomy of firm sales, individuals, because essentially it's their livelihood, uh, um, fighting on and uh, potentially arguably gumming up the works in terms of getting through cases. I mean, the, 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 this, this the case is it's probably worth, it, it's worth a quick read. Um, it, it's uh, the bank organising investments into a Russian business, but then there being a sort of three million kind of finders fee thing being paid to pay pay back. Um, it all looks a bit fishy. Um, the bank is being fined because uh, for other reasons, for lots of other reasons, uh, obviously controls around that. But also, but also when they became aware that there might be a a problem with this, they didn't immediately notify the regulator, so they they, they fell over on that at that point. But but yeah, uh, that's obviously going to have to wait on the upper tribunal to see whether the universities do get banned. Um, we've got similar thing going on at Mizuho, the Japanese bank in London. So, but in this case, actually, the, the, the bank itself's not not been subject to enforcement. But the three three bond traders have been subject to final notices, subject to appeal to the upper tribunal um, for uh, I think Italian bond futures. Uh, sort of classic market manipulation activity. You, you put a lot of out of the money, large trades out in the market, which because they're out of the money, mean, mean no one's going, no one's going to, no one's going to uh, close them. But it, but it gives a it creates an impression of um, of there being you know, a buying a volume of buyers or a volume of sellers, and then you then the trades you actually do want to execute going the opposite direction. You, you put out and yeah, you know, you, you're trying to manipulate the market. Um, so. And that, that, that's uh, that, that's uh, that's obviously um, something you're not allowed to do. Um, but all three traders are appealing to the upper tribunal. Upper tribunal is going to be busy. It's going to be busy. Yeah, yeah it is. It is going to be busy. I mean, this is the the flip side of individual accountability that we talked about before. Um, the interesting variant on this was last month we talked about the, the Sonali Bank being fined for AML fine failings, um, and so the CEO. Uh, there's, a, there's an in, there's an individual notice uh, for the CEO, so so which is quite an interesting read because CEO is in is in Bangladesh, 
with no intention to return. And they've said, uh, FCA have said, uh, we wanted to find them, 75, 76,000 or something. Um, but they're going to say, well, while the FCA considers the financial penalty to be appropriate, there now exist exceptional circumstances for the case to be resolved by agreement, including the lack of any prospect of enforcing payment of a financial penalty. Um, so they've basically admitted that they can't, they're not going to get the money. Uh, hence, they've, uh, they've just gone with a public censure. Um, so uh, uh, there's, there's a good... Um, Good advertisement for for the fact that individual accountability only works if you hang around in in country to uh, uh, to pay the penalty. Um, right, so quite a lot that we've had to cover. I apologise for turning off the length of the episode, but it is a uh, it's a well stuffed Christmas edition, as I as I hopefully uh, mentioned at the start. Uh, I hope everyone who is listening um, enjoys their holiday break tremendously. Um, and into the new year, we also hope that you uh, come back to, to visit us again um, and uh, also use the resources on Grant Thornton's website to, to catch up on the news and developments. Um, I think it only remains for me to say, Gavin, it's been an absolute pleasure and uh, I can't wait until we engineer a chance to do this together again. Thank you. Um, likewise, have a great Christmas and new year, everyone. Yeah. Bye bye. <laughs>